The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hempresent. Our radio resident Hempo-Sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hempresent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to Hemp Present, the weekly radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant, join me for a weekly Reefer Radio Rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers, and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, celebrating its 25th year found at HempFest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at HempFest.org. Transmitting from a hempcrete fortified bunker under a ramshackle reefer radio warren at an undisclosed location deep within the rumbling bowels of underground Seattle, my goal is to spread the green flame of 420 truth in 30-minute increments. Today's guest on Hempresent is Johan Hari, the author of Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, who will be joining me momentarily. People who've been processed through the criminal justice system often suffer various forms of post-traumatic stress related to the paranoia, intimidation, and the guilt rendered upon anybody threatened by the unmerciful and punitive forces of prohibition enforcement. But then you could say that these are simply the psychological effects of war. Our government has declared a war on drugs, and any counterculture person, person of color, or cannabis enthusiast quickly realize that the war is not a war on people. It's a war on poor people, freaky-looking people, and more often than not, people of color. We all know that the war on drugs has often been used as a tool to selectively target a certain social demographic using tactics such as racial and cultural profiling, stop-and-frisk detainments, no-knock SWAT-style forced home entries, sometimes with family pets killed on the spot, and too often with property seizures absent of any conviction. Entire local and federal enforcement agencies have been or still are partially or completely funded by supposed drug forfeitures, a very creative application of the word forfeiture, as these are clearly property seizures. These enforcement priorities create an incentive for misuse and abuse on the part of law enforcement, which often operate with relative impunity. Prohibition has created black market opportunities that have been exploited by violent elements in our society. 
using prohibition as a tool for which to gain power, status, and profit. Such interests manipulate prices and purity and generally show little concern for the health and well-being of their customer base. One great societal cost of prohibition has been a general lack of the respect for rule of law, which has cost lives on both sides. Many people, young and old, see the illogical and unjust nature of our pot laws, and that awareness contributes to a lack of respect for all of society's laws, the vast majority of which are sound, reasonable, and necessary to operate a society of this size and complexity. The introduction of low-level pot offenders to the criminal colleges of jails and prisons has helped to create criminals where there were none, the complete opposite of what a criminal justice system is supposed to do. And once you get a felony, you're in the system. And a life of criminality may seem like the only practical solution to the stigma and the obstacles created from a conviction. Finding a job, housing, public assistance, student loans, and other activities could be severely impacted. After being released from incarceration, fines, fees, and attendance at drug, alcohol, 12-step, or anger management classes may be required, along with maintaining a job and housing. For many people just coming out of incarceration, those requirements can equal a recipe for failure. And as Law Enforcement Against Prohibition's founder, Jack Cole, says, you might be able to get over an addiction, but you can never get over a conviction. It is there for life, regardless of your level of rehabilitation. The racial inequities involved in the way prohibition has been enforced has created disproportionately dark-skinned prison populations. And for many years, prohibition has acted as a subtle form of voter suppression. As entire communities have seen a large portion of the mothers and fathers in their neighborhoods either incarcerated or left with felony convictions, leaving broken families, latchkey children, and lost opportunities in their wake. But the times they are changing, and there are many critical assessments of the failed policies of prohibition coming out. And one of them is this great new book from Johan Hari called Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. Johan Hari has been a columnist for The Independent. Hari's work has also appeared in The Huffington Post, The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, The New Republic, The Nation, and The Sydney Morning Herald, among others. He's appeared regularly as an arts critic on the BBC Two program, The Review Show, and he was a book critic for Slate. In 2009, Hari was named by the Daily Telegraph as one of the most influential people on the left in Britain, and he has joined me today in the virtual Hemp Present studio. Welcome, Johan, to Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Hey, Vivian. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining me. So on the eve of the century, you set off on a three-year 12-nation, 30,000-mile journey into the war on drugs. What countries did that quest bring you to, and what did you find when you got there? Well, it was a crazy mixture of countries. I wanted to go to the places that treat addicts most brutally and drug users most brutally. So I went out with a group of women who were forced to go out in the deserts of Arizona on a chain gang wearing T-shirts saying, I was a drug addict. I went to Vietnam where they put drug users in gulags. And I went to the places where they had been most compassionate to drug users, Portugal, where all drugs had been decriminalized, Switzerland, where heroin has been legalized for addicts, a whole range of places. It was a very personal journey for me. One of my earliest memories is of trying to wake up one of my relatives and not being able to. And I was too small to understand why then. But as I got older, I realized we had addiction in my family. And what I really wanted to understand is, you know, why have we been fighting this drug war for a 100 years? What are the alternatives like in practice? You know, what can we really do to help people who have addiction problems? You know, I didn't want to discuss that in a kind of abstract way. I wanted to sit with people whose lives had been changed by the most brutal war on drug approach and by the alternatives. And it led me to discover lots of other injustices, not least what we do to drug users, not least the absolute scandal of what we do to marijuana users, which I know is a cause very close to your heart. Chasing the Scream uh, has received 
accolades from public figures as diverse as Noam Chomsky, Elton John, Russell Brand, and even <laughs> former Seattle Police Chief Norm Stamper, who's been a past speaker at Seattle Hemp Fest. What do you feel the underlying message of your book is? What would you most like readers to take away after closing that final page? <laughs> I'm really pleased that it's the only book that I've been praised by both Chomsky and Elton John. I tried to persuade them to sing a duet in honour of the book, but uh, <laughs> Chomsky, Chomsky wasn't up for it. Um, I think there's loads of different things. So the book is not really an argument. The book is the stories of people that I met along the way. And there are a really diverse range of people from a transgender crack dealer in Brownsville, Brooklyn, to a scientist who spends a load of time feeding hallucinogens to mongooses to see if they like them. They do, but only in very specific circumstances. To a hitman for the deadliest Mexican drug cartel who I got to know who, between the ages of 13 and 17, butchered or beheaded about 70 people. To, as I say, the only country that's decriminalized all drugs. And I, I think, so I don't think of it in terms of a message, but there are many things I learned that I think are really important for people to understand from, you know, what really causes addiction, which is not what we think, to the way that prohibition causes violence, the way we're destroying whole countries with this system of prohibition, to the real reasons why cannabis was banned. I mean, I can talk about any of them if you want to pick one. I'm happy to uh, talk about any of them. Well, what I'm really That's- interested in is... You mentioned that your book, Chasing the Scream, your narrative is very humanizing as the issues of addiction and the effects of prohibition are viewed for the experiences of others. And as you mentioned, a transsexual crack dealer, a Mexican teenage hitman. What was it like researching the book in that fashion? And did you find yourself in any elements of danger while you're conducting your research? I was obviously against the war on drugs when I started and in favor of more compassionate policies. But when you really see the effects of this, it's quite shocking. I'll give you an example. Um, I opened the book with the story of how Billie Holiday, the great jazz singer, was stalked and killed by the man who launched the war on drugs, Harry Anslinger, who I'm guessing a lot of your listeners will have heard of. Harry Anslinger is basically the most influential person who no one's ever heard of. He's the man who invented the phrase war on drugs. Um, and I opened the book with this moment when he first collides with Billie Holiday. In 1939, Billie Holiday stood on stage in midtown Manhattan in a hotel and she sang the song Strange Fruit for the first time, a great anti-lynching song. And you've got to understand how shocking that was, right? You didn't have political pop songs back then and you certainly didn't have African-American women standing up and singing songs against lynching. That night, Billie Holiday receives a warning from Harry Anslinger's Federal Bureau of Narcotics and it basically says, stop singing this song. And to some people who don't know the history of the war on drugs as as well as you do, Vivian, that seems like a weird moment to begin a story about the war on drugs, right? Because you think, well, what's that got to do with the war on drugs? It has everything to do with what the war on drugs was about. When Harry Anslinger takes over the Department of Prohibition, it's the end of alcohol prohibition, it's the late 20s, alcohol prohibition has catastrophically failed. And he wants to turn this government department into the Bureau of Narcotics, the, Bureau, the, the Drug War Bureau, in effect. But heroin and cocaine were really small trades then. You couldn't really build much of a government department around them. So he decided to build the modern war on drugs around a few things. One was two things he really hated. African-Americans, he was such a crazy racist that he was regarded as an extreme racist in the 1920s, which tells you something, right? A hatred of <laughs> addicts. He had a really intense hatred of addicts. And this this fake hysteria he created about cannabis, come back to think about cannabis, but with Billie Holiday was to him the symbol of everything that he thought was going wrong with America. You know, here's this African-American woman who had a drug addiction problem because she was actually forcibly prostituted as a child. And she's resisting white supremacy. And when she effectively says, screw you, I'm going to sing my song, he resolves to destroy her. And I tell the story in the book of the role he played in really in her death. 
You know, that brings me to a fascinating quote on page 139 where Ruby's brother Juan is talking to you. And you, you quote Harry Anslinger himself saying, Prohibition conceived as a moral attempt to improve the, the American way of life would ultimately cast the nation into turmoil. One cannot help but think in retrospect that Prohibition, by depriving Americans of their vices, only created the avenues by which organized crime would gain its firm foothold. So was Anslinger critical of his own policies of prohibition in his later life? No, he never saw the contradictions. There's an even better Harry Anslinger quote, which I think tells you why he didn't. When he was at the UN in the early 50s, he was challenged by someone. They said, I don't think you can be right about something he was saying. And he said, these were his exact words, I've made up my mind, don't try to confuse me with the facts. And I think that should be like the motto for the entire war on drugs, right? That's That's... That pretty much says it all. Yeah, exactly. No, I think you go to what for me is the most compelling moral question about the war on drugs. I think what we do to drug users is monstrous. I think what we do to drug addicts is monstrous. But I think there's an even bigger moral issue, which is the violence caused by the act of prohibition itself. And it's really worth explaining to people how that works and what it's doing. So if you want to understand it, you can do a really simple little experiment. Your listeners can try this tonight, although I don't recommend it. Go to your local liquor store and try to steal a bottle of vodka, right? If that liquor store catches you, they'll call the police. The police will come and take you away. So that liquor store doesn't need to be violent. It doesn't need to be intimidating. They have the power of the law to uphold their property rights. Okay, you've done that. Now try to steal a bag of weed or a bag of cocaine. If the guy selling that catches you, obviously he can't call the cops. The cops will come and arrest him. He has to fight you. Now, you don't want to be having a fight every day. So you have to establish a reputation for being so frightening that no one will do that. You have to establish your place in that neighborhood through violence in many parts of the drug trade. As uh, Charles Bowden, the American writer said, you know, the war on drugs creates a war for drugs that otherwise wouldn't exist. Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize winning economist, calculated there are 10,000 additional murders every year in the United States. As a result of that dynamic, it's, it's really catastrophic. And if you want to know how much of that violence is the result of prohibition, ask yourself, where are the violent alcohol dealers today? Does the head of Heineken go and shoot the head of Smirnoff in the face? No, of course not, right? Everyone listening to this program knows who Pablo Escobar was. Everyone listening to this program knows who El Chapo was. I bet none of you know the name of the head of Guinness or the head of Smirnoff. We don't need to. They're not violent lunatics. And the reason nothing has changed about alcohol. When alcohol was prohibited, it did cause all that violence. And the day prohibition ended, that violence ended. Now, this violence is terrible enough in the United States and in Britain and other places. In the supply route countries, where it's obviously a much bigger part of the economy. And I am speaking with Johan Hari, author of Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws. Here, we're from our sponsor. We'll be right back. So don't go anywhere. Just getting started with Johan Hari. Time to roll out for the people that let us hem present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. 
Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. All you have to do is decriminalize. We don't need a government regulation to tell us this is good pot, that's bad pot. We don't need any of that. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Johan Hari, author of Chasing the Scream. Johan, your book, Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, coincides with the 100th anniversary of the Harrison Narcotics Tax Act. What was the Harrison Act and why is it relevant to the drug war today? The Harrison Act was the first law that banned cocaine and heroin in the United States. And it's really interesting if you go back and look at why those drugs were banned. If you'd said to me, when I, before I did the research, why, what reasons would they have given back then? I would have guessed it would be the reasons you'd get if you stopped like a random person in the United States today, right? If you said to them, why are drugs banned? They'd say, wrongly, but they'd say, well, we, it's so that we can protect our children. It's so that people don't become addicted. What's fascinating is that stuff barely came up when they were discussing banning it. Overwhelmingly, it was about race. It was the belief that African-Americans and Chinese-Americans we're using drugs, forgetting their place, I'm putting that in inverted commas, and attacking white people. It's kind of crazy when you read the early debates. I'll give you a typical example of what one thing was said. The cocaine N-word sure is hard to kill was a typical official government statement at that time. You yourself have experienced the addictive nature of drugs when combined with the human psyche, but you do not consider yourself an addict. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we had drug addiction in my family quite serious drug addiction. I don't consider myself to have had an addiction. I, I used for a long, for a while I used the drug modafinil, which is a narcolepsy drug, although obviously I don't have narcolepsy. It's used by a lot of people as a smart drug. I took that a lot. I see that more as a kind of subset. I wanted to be working all the time. I was having a tough part of my life and it kind of makes it possible for you to focus all the time. Obviously it's bad for you in the longer term because you don't sleep very well. But I don't really consider that an addiction, I, or rather I would consider the addiction to have been like an addiction to work rather than to other things. And I think that tells us a really important thing, which is that the fact that you can be addicted to behaviours that have nothing to do with drugs, like gambling, pornography, or in my case, work, tells you something about, you know, the, it's very widely believed, and I believed it, that addiction is caused by drugs. It's caused by the chemical hooks in drugs. That's actually not true. There's really interesting evidence about that that I can talk about if you like. Caused by the human mind, right? It's not caused by the human mind. I think that's, that's not quite the right way of putting it. If, um, if you'd said to me four years ago, what causes, say, heroin addiction, I would have looked at you like you were quite stupid. I would have said, well, obviously heroin causes heroin addiction. We've been called, told this story for 100 years that's become part of our common sense, right? We think if the, you grab the next 20 people who walk past your studio and you made them all use heroin together for 20 days, on day 21, they'd all be heroin addicts because there are chemical hooks in the heroin that their bodies would start to physically need. That's what we think addiction is. The first thing that led to me to the fact there's something wrong about that is when it was explained to me, in Britain, Canada, uh, almost all of Europe, if you step out into the street and you get hit by a truck and you break your hip, 
you're taken to hospital and you're given loads of diamorphine for the pain. Diamorphine is heroin. It's just a medical name for heroin. It's much stronger heroin than you'd ever score on the streets because it's medically pure. People are given that for quite long periods of time. Any Anyone who's given a hip, a hip replacement operation is given heroin for quite a long period of time. If what we think about addiction is right, that it's caused by the drug, the chemical hooks in the drug, what should happen to all these people in hospital? Some of them at least should become heroin addicts, right? This has been studied very carefully. It doesn't happen. And I didn't understand that until, in fact, I thought it couldn't be right, until I went to Vancouver and met this extraordinary man called Bruce Alexander. He's a professor of psychology. He explained the idea of addiction that we have, that it's caused by the chemical hooks, comes mainly from a series of experiments that were done earlier in the 20th century. They're really simple experiments. Your listeners can try them at home. You, you get a rat, you put it in a cage, and you give it two water bottles. One is just water, and the other is water laced with either heroin or cocaine. If you do that, the rat will almost always prefer the drugged water and almost always kill itself. So there you go, right? That's our story of addiction. But in the 70s, Professor Alexander came along and said, well, hang on a minute. We put these rats alone in an empty cage that uses one rat on its own and it's got nothing to do except use these drugs. What would happen if we did this differently? So he built a cage that he called Rat Park, which is basically heaven for rats, right? Anything a rat could want in life, it's got in Rat Park. It's got loads of cheese. It's got loads of tunnels. It's got loads of friends. They can have loads of sex. And they've got both the water bottles, the normal water and the drugged water. But this is the fascinating thing. In Rat Park, they don't like the drugged water. They almost never use it. None of them ever use it compulsively. None of them ever overdose. Now, there's lots of human examples that I can talk about. I don't want to talk for too long. But I think this tells us something really fundamental about addiction. That there's lots of other evidence for. People who have good lives can use drugs recreationally and they don't become addicted. People whose lives are terrible, where they're disconnected from the people around them or from a source of meaning are much more vulnerable to addiction and compulsive drug use because they don't want to be present in their lives because their lives are too painful a place to be. So I wouldn't say it's caused by your mind. I think that would feed the idea that it's caused by, you know, this, this false idea which is promoted by some of the drug war people, that it's caused by your brain changing and various false claims. It's more, you know, caused by social disconnection. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection and disconnection. Socialization. Socialization. Partly social isolation and also disconnection from sources of meaning and purpose in your life. You know, anyone listening to that who finds that a bit strange to understand, and it took me a while, it's a simple way of thinking about it. I've got, while I'm talking to you, a bottle of Diet Pepsi, right? You've probably got a drink in front of you. Totally legally, forget the drug laws, you and me could both be drinking vodka now, right? We're not. I'm guessing you're not. You don't sound like it. I'm, I'm drinking some yerba mate, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, now... Why are we not drinking vodka? We could be doing that legally. The reason we're not doing it is not because anyone's stopping us. It's because we don't want to, because we want to be present in our lives, because we've got jobs we love, we've got people we love, we've got a sense of purpose and meaning, and we want right, to stay right. present for it. The core of addiction is about not wanting to be present in your life because it's too painful. And once you understand that, you can see why the war on drugs is such a disaster when it comes to addiction, because if pain and suffering are drivers of addiction – Inflicting more pain and more suffering, it doesn't just fail, it actually makes the addiction worse. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Gabor Mate, but so he's been – Yeah, he's a friend of mine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great guy and uh, he's, he's been working on that same issue and pretty much saying the same thing. How do you feel about the progress that we've made so far in terms of legalizing cannabis and do you think that all drugs should be legalized? It's an incredible and inspiring moment and the people of your state, Washington, people of Colorado, people of Oregon – 
have achieved something that is inspiring people all over the world. And you guys, all you guys who fought for this should be so proud of yourselves. I think it's incredible. You know, it's demonstrated that a legal, regulated market makes a very significant dent in organized crime. You don't get that you can raise a lot of taxes. You don't get the crises and disasters that people predicted. It's why you've even got people like John Hickenlooper, who was the governor who resisted it in Colorado now, saying it seems like a pretty good thing. It's fascinating to see how much support goes up when people see legalization happen. I do believe that all drugs should be legalized, but it's important to understand that that means different things for different drugs. In the same way, I don't know the rules in Washington state, but I'm pretty sure it would be legal for you to own a dog, a monkey, and a lion. But I'm also pretty sure the rules would be different, right? A dog, you can just go into a store. A monkey, I'm not right, doubt right. you could just go into a store. And a lion, I'm certain you couldn't just go and have one in your yard, right? In the same way, there's nothing abstract about how you legalize other drugs. I've been to the places that have done it and I've seen how it worked. So Switzerland, for example, had a really bad heroin crisis. They tried all sorts of different things. Cracking down failed disastrously. They decided to legalize heroin for addicts. Doesn't mean you can just go into the equivalent to CVS and buy it. You go to a clinic, you're assigned to a clinic, you're given your heroin there, you use it there. You know, the results have been really striking. Do you know how many people have died of heroin overdoses in Switzerland since they legalized heroin on legal heroin? Nobody, not a single person. No, but it's a major problem here in Washington State where we're having pretty much an epidemic. I am speaking with Johan Hari, the author of Chasing the Scream. We're going to take one more break. Come right back for our last questions. Don't go anywhere because some of the best stuff's coming. Be right back. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now... Back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with author Johan Hari. 
Johan, your book is a great book, Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, published by Bloomsbury. It's just an easy read. I love your writing style. How can people find out more about the book and more about the projects you're working on? Oh, thank you very much for saying that. You can go to the website, which is www.chasingthescream.com, and you can hear interviews with loads of the people I've talked about, with dozens of the people that I've met in all sorts of places. You can read extracts from it, and yeah, and you can find out places, things you can do to get involved in this fight. Any speaking gigs lined up or anything like that coming up? Uh, not for a little while, actually. I'm knuckled down on writing my next book, which I'm not meant to talk about. So I'm being slightly cryptic about it. But um, not that it's any great state secret, but I'm not meant to talk about it. But I just want to say that I think the activism you're doing is is really important. You know, I've been to so many different places in the world. And what was achieved in Washington and Colorado, you know, when I heard about that, I remember the only time I ever saw my father cry. My parents had lived in Berlin when it was a divided city. And one time when I was, I guess, 10 years old, I came home. My dad was watching the TV and crying and the Berlin Wall was coming down. And he said, I never thought I'd live to see this. And the moment when Colorado and Washington voted to legalize marijuana at the heart of the country that imposed the drug war on the rest of the world was a, was a Berlin Wall moment. And the drug war is coming down in all sorts of places. And people have been inspired. All of, and I know lots of your listeners will be people who were really involved in that campaigning in Washington. And they should be so proud of themselves. They've played a role in saving thousands of people's lives. Well, thank you so much for that, Johan. I think we've finally reached a critical mass to end this critical mess of prohibition. Thank you so much for being on Present. I wish you the best of luck with all your endeavors. And once again, thanks for the book. I really enjoyed reading it. Oh, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. And thanks for all the work you're doing. Take care, my brother. Cheers. Thank you. Now I want to get to a weekly feature of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio, and that's the quote of the week, and here it is. Quote, there are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most of them are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana usage. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. Those are the immortal words of Harry J. Anslinger, United States government official who served as the first commissioner of the U.S. Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics. He was a staunch supporter of prohibition and the criminalization of drugs. He played a pivotal role in cannabis prohibition. That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Email me at hemppresent at gmail.com. I'll give that email in a few seconds. I also want to thank my power peeps in the control room, Hannah and Brasco, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more cannabis confabulation and reefer repartee with some hempy hero on a journey to justice. Because when it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice, because resistance is fertile. Until then, my friend, stay strong, stand tall, and toke it easy don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com the hempresent theme song take back the plan is performed by sticker bush and sung by a much younger version of myself turn up the music maestro as i'm out marijuana The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.